thank you for joining us. I'd like to welcome you to our new series of uh, podcasts, uh, which we're doing all about community this time. Um, and today we're chatting with Sarah and Michael Lewis, who are regular customers of ours at Steampunk. Um, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy evening to, <laughs> to talk to us. Um, as we're talking about community, I thought it was going to be maybe really interesting to talk to both of you as you have quite different sort of background in that, Sarah, you're a North Berwick native. I grew am, up here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Michael, you came from further afield. Yeah. Um, and yet you're both now living in, in North Berwick. And I thought it'd be really interesting to hear your points of view about, about North Berwick. Yeah, well, so I I was born here. I grew up here. I was here until I left high school. So I was 17 when I left. And I went off to Glasgow to study. And then we jointly went down to London. And then we slowly worked our way back up here. And I think that after we had had our first daughter, we thought it would be nice to be closer to family. Um, and we wanted to move out of London. We loved London, but we just felt like it was going to be challenging to have the space that we wanted and we were getting kind of sucked into the rat race of work um, and it was expensive and you kind of had to be in that or you couldn't afford to live there and we wanted to kind of step back from that so that was kind of why we left left London and then when I was pregnant with our second daughter we decided that actually moving up to Scotland to be really close to family would be nice and we initially moved to Edinburgh and we just realized that we were coming to North Berwick a lot. And actually on our visits, we realized that there was a really interesting community forming here. Um, we met you guys in like 2013, I think, when you were first setting up. Yep, yep. you were our very first customers. Yeah, our, and that was, in our that, was the, that was the year we escaped London. So we were right between, we were having this like life break. So we left London and we were just trying to decide where to go. So we met you guys then. So we we always knew there was some interesting stuff that started in the time, which I don't feel like was was here to that extent when I was growing up. So it was always on our radar as like a fun place to come and visit. But it wasn't until we lived in Edinburgh that we realized actually this would be a really good community to move back into. I, I think that it was probably a bigger move for you because it's like, or for both of us, I wasn't sure about moving back to where I grew up. Mm -hmm. but you obviously were moving into a town that I grew up in and my parents live in and my sister lives in. So it's very, yeah. I mean, I think it's, I mean, the, the, the attitudes just change over time. I, th I think in terms of, I mean, the move here, I think for us was largely motivated by having children. I think if we didn't have children, we wouldn't be here. We would still be in a, you know, a more bustling <laughs> place maybe, but it was just, you know, it, it, I think that there's something about having children that shifts priorities. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like in terms of backstory, grew up in St. Louis and then St. Louis was a like my upbringing was a really suburban upbringing. So community for me was like riding my bike around with friends. And then like my mom had a really large family. So it, there was like a hyper local sense of the familial, which was really nice. But then but as like an urban space. St. Louis was not so interesting. And then when I studied in New Orleans, I really understood what a city could mean as a community because mm -hmm. New Orleans functions much more as a, a, a kind of a community city and that people are really engaged with what's going on. People are deeply into city politics. Mm -hmm. So like everyone's really well informed with 
what is happening at a kind of hyper local level and seeing that kind of activism was intoxicating because you know there's a with that comes a fierce independence so so that so my eyes kind of opened there and then yeah and then we just kind of like jumped around a little bit and i think that what though what new orleans planted for me was a kind of an appreciation for what you can do by engaging in a community and i, and I think both of us have always wanted to invest in some kind of way and in london it's you know it's challenging to invest because it's just so sprawling and, and we were pretty young too you know we were, i guess we were in like our we mid-20s working so hard. i think to be able to invest in your community, you have to give it time. Mm -hmm. And it was so difficult at that point in our lives to give anything time. Although that being said, we used to do pottery classes. At, so we lived yeah. close to the Hackney City Farm and we did pottery classes there. And that was one of those moments where you really felt like we met a community because there was all these like in the kind of, you know, miasma of London, you had this like really weird pocket where mm -hmm. like people who had this kind of, you know, desire to do something which was kind of um not frivolous but almost like you weren't we weren't really creating anything particularly at pottery nobody in that group was it's like we were the, all the, mediocre we were all super <laughs> mediocre and no one was trying to get better that was not the purpose of pottery night and it, it was a class that was supposed to run from like seven till nine i don't think i ever turned up before probably like 10 o'clock at night i used to rock up <laughs> super late straight from the office and you guys would all be there and I'd bring a pot of hummus and I'd sit and like dip some bread in it while trying to make a pot. I mean, it was very, it was very fluid, but we'd stay there till, you know, midnight and the group who were there just were so dis disparate. We never would have met had we not all decided to go to this pottery and I, I guess what that is is like it's because there's this interesting migration that happens through life where like you know you're you're friends with people for a set period of time and then you have a seismic shift which might be leaving high school for university it might be leaving university for whatever city you want to go live in it then might be getting married it might be progressing up a career whatever it is like you have these various like off ramps at which you get to recalibrate and decide who you're going to kind of align with mm -hmm. and in each of those opportunities you get to reflect upon the, how you've changed over those intervening years and you get to situate yourself in a place or in a direction that is more nurturing of where you want to go. So like I look at friends like from high school who like maybe haven't had those opportunities and like they're kind of in the same lane and that's cool if you want to do that. But like I think we don't want to do that or we haven't wanted to do that so far. And so like we've kind of, you know, and so in London, it became this opportunity where it was like, oh, my God, like we don't know any of you people, but we're developing these relationships based out of this random shared interest. And I think that that was what was cool about it was that we were like, oh, you know, there's there's no baggage here. We're just rediscovering what it is to kind of make a community. Mm -hmm. And it became really special because of that. Yeah, but but we weren't able to. Uh, uh, yes, I agree that pottery was great, but it was it was a very small percentage of our time, and we didn't invest anything in that time when we were not there. There was no that group was it it, it existed in this one place, and that was the only time we saw those people, and it was the only time we did pottery. We didn't try to do it some other time, and I think that was one of our key reasons for leaving London was like we we wanted to have a kind of seismic change in how we spent our time. And at that point we thought maybe we wanted to work part-time, maybe we wanted to, I mean, at that point we were like, maybe we wanted like a farmstead. And we did, that's when we 
came and saw you guys and setting up and then we went over to America and we did this woofing where you volunteer on farms and we did that kind of for six months um but we we in the end came back here and we we settled down in Norwich for five years um partly because we had this idea that we might get a farmstead because it's a very yeah. rural kind of part of the country um but it- yeah it's interesting because North Berwick has a lot of people here who grew up here, who left for quite a chunk of their time, you know, the time, basically their 20s. And then at this point in their life, when they have young children, um, they come back to this area. So it seems quite interesting that there is like a mixture of people who have come here from lots of other places, you know, urban places or other places in the world. and kind of settled back in here. Do you feel that, do you get a a sense of that? That there's a feeling that people are bringing things into the town that wouldn't be here if it it wasn't? Oh man, for sure. One of the surprising things too has been that, because I think the the catalyst was taking the girl, so when we were living in Edinburgh, because we moved up from Norwich to Edinburgh, um, because we didn't think we wanted to be in, in such a small place as North Berwick at that point in time. But we were coming out every weekend to the beach and like watching the girls on the beach, it's just like, the most natural learning environment imaginable. And just to be, just to realize that one, obviously the school district's great here. And the fact that you have access to these kind of natural surrounds where you can let the children run for a very long distance without kind of, you know, hovering. Um, So that felt supernatural. And then when we made the decision, then suddenly to realize that there are all these people who are moving here, who some, many of whom we've met don't even have the ties of one of them being from here. With these amazing skill sets. Yes, I think that, when we moved here, if we're being honest, we were like, we're moving here for a family, we're moving here for the landscape, being near the beach. We are sacrificing our social lives and we are um, sacrificing the fact we're gonna have to commute for the rest of our lives while we're working. And then the, the first thing that happened is we suddenly realized that there were so many really interesting people here, um, a lot of whom, were not people as you say who moved back they were literally just people who were like that's a cool place to move and they moved here so it's really interesting people and then obviously covid happened so we mm-hmm. only moved back in 2018 so then covid happened and the commute disappeared <laughs> we were like it's the perfect place it's like all these amazing people live here um we don't have to commute to work and there's like no there's no drawback anymore and if you did want to go out and do cool cultural things that you couldn't do in a small town it didn't matter anyway because nobody was allowed to do those things so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, the, the world has changed dramatically in the last two years that's for sure Yeah. So now that you've been here for a couple of years, like, do you feel a sense of belonging to to North Berwick? For me, it's just growing. I mean, like, you know, as an outsider, like obviously always be an outsider here, um, even though I've been in the country for 12 years now, I think, or something like that. Um, But like, I'll, you know, always be, I'll always speak like this. (laughs) I'll always out myself the second I open my mouth. (laughs) Um, But I I think that the community has been very welcoming and as an outsider and not everywhere is. Like in Norwich, for example, 
like <laughs> there was like a really passive hostility to other things. <laughs> Hopefully there we was, don't have too many listeners in there. <laughs> was, was Norwich is cool. Norwich is cool. Norwich, well, I think actually what we find so interesting about Norwich, it wasn't so much hostility. It was like abject, just unbelievable. Like they just couldn't believe that people would move to Norwich who didn't have family there or a really good reason. Because people used to say to us, but it was always, but why do you live here? <laughs> and like, and there was a UKIP poster on our street. Well, yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> but, but I think it was more like people just didn't, people just didn't move to Norwich without a reason. Yeah. Whereas here, you don't, it was the same in London. Like you'd never say to someone, so why did you move to London? It's like, it's kind of obvious, like London's one of the coolest cities in the world. Mm -hmm. It's like, and in North Berwick, you don't feel like you have to say, so why did you pick North Berwick? It's like, it's beautiful. It's like, mm -hmm. it, it speaks for itself, I think. Um, but yeah, no, I think that the, the longer we're here, which like in the scheme of things for us, it hasn't been that long. Um, and I think that I'm, I'm feeling more and more ingrained, I think, in a way which is deeply satisfying. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I think that like community, I mean, this is one of the benefits of being in a place like North Berwick. It's at a scale where you can make an impact. If you want mm -hmm. to invest, it's possible. Mm -hmm. And there's enough people who are interested in making positive change that you can do things. And I think it's like, you know, it's a, it's a cool time to be, it feels like a cool time to be here to me because it feels like there's a, a young enthusiasm and young in a kind of a loose way <laughs> um, in terms of like how you shape a community, you know? Mm -hmm. So like yeah. the, the things that we might do now would have an impact on the way that our girls who are three and five see the world. And that's cool. Mm -hmm. So like to make a slightly more, you know, uh, I mean, like progressive agenda in terms of how we think about civic space, how we think about education, how we think about, um, you know, just, I guess, civic engagement more broadly. These things are all malleable. Um, and because there has been a large influx, it feels like we can shape a little bit, which is which is awesome. sorts of things would you like to see change and develop that we have like different time. slightly di the different things that we've been involved in it's so like i i got once we moved back i got quite involved in the bring back the outdoor pool campaign mm -hmm. and i would love to see that whole part of the town kind of regenerated mm -hmm. to because it feels like the town's got so much bigger but that the the high street is actually got smaller because some of the commercial spaces have become housing so We've got a lot more people, but less commercial space. And it feels mm -hmm. like actually to pull the commercial space down and incorporate the whole harbor area, it really makes that feel more part of the town rather than something which is exclusive for people who are t something to do with sailing or the harbor. Mm -hmm. So it feels like there's a real opportunity to make that a key. I mean, the lobster, shark, the lobster shack is a great case study in that that yes. queue is long enough to sustain two businesses. As a proof of concept, yeah. that illustrates that there's an appetite for commercial activity in that space. Yeah. So I would just also, in. I feel like having grown up here, I have this very fond memory of that pool because I always had like my annual membership, which I I've kept the cards and I pulled one out the other day. It was seven pounds 50 for the year. So I think that's one of the things it's like, if we get it, it's got to be incredibly affordable for people who live here so that it's a real community asset. Mm -hmm. And it's not just this kind of really expensive privileged space because it doesn't then serve its function, which is about, for me as a child, it was about this like sort of inter, like multi-generational 
space where you had like grandmothers and parents and children but I, I don't think I ever went really with my parents to the outdoor pool I was there with friends and you're being supervised by the wider community mm -hmm. it wasn't about um it wasn't about your family unit it was about the community unit there and I think yeah. that's really important I don't think we've got very multi-generational spaces in town so yeah. I think that's important yeah we've got some the, the lodge is really good I mean it's a heart of the yeah. community I think the, the lodge is one of those kinds of spaces where you know you, you yeah, you have those kinds of conversations. Um, but yes, we could use more. Yeah. And especially a place like that where people are encouraged to linger. It's it's a more valuable yeah. space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and you could have spaces, indoor type spaces attached, mm -hmm. which could be then used more by especially the underserved people in the community. So I'm thinking about like te like sort of teenagers who don't really have in good internal <laughs> fun spaces to go and hang out in yeah. town. Yeah, it's something we've talked about a lot. And it's something that um, when the space, as it was called actually, mm -hmm. was here in North Berwick, that was used. Uh, it was it had such interesting different uses because it obviously had the skate, the indoor skate park, and that was built entirely by teenagers and volunteers. And, and then it also had a soft place, so it attracted you know, people with young children and the wee cafe there had the recording rooms or rehearsal rooms. And then it even had the library there for a while. Do you remember when no, they were, right. when they were, yeah. yeah. So when the library was being refurbished, it moved into there. And then there were a few offices, a few creatives had offices there. So it was like this, this wee kind of hub of activity. Mm. And it was really, it was really cool. It was such a what shame a when that was lost. Mm. Um, but this is something we've talked about a lot. And in fact, Michael, you're involved in a project that obviously we've been running at Steampunk with the sessions, um, where we are trying to offer a space that, you know, young people can use because of this lack of, of that kind of space. Um, but full di disclosure here for listeners, um, Sarah and Michael are both architects by by trade. So um, the thinking about how spaces are used, um, you know, is something that you obviously, you guys obviously do a lot. Um, but that's that was another reason I thought it'd be quite interesting to speak to you both. Well, Michael's got quite involved in the the school and how, and how the, well, you can talk about it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's two things uh, recently which are kind of connected, I suppose. Um, one of them is the wetland. So the wetland is a restoration project initiated by John Hunt, who's a local, um, who's on the law advisory board, who converted some fallow fields into a wetland in, uh, gosh, I want to say 2018 was when the project started. And it's just been a tremendous success. I mean, there's, you know, huge numbers of migrating birds are now stopping. There's been nesting swans. There's been, um, you know, several Herons. heron births and, and, and et cetera, um, which, is, which is really cool. But it doesn't have long-term funding from East Lothian Council. So I want to raise awareness around that because I feel like it's a really important resource for the community and also the wider community non-human community um and so uh so that is kind of to me an educational resource a sort of you know as and when by the by educational resource where people can wander observe wildlife um just move their bodies you know, connect with nature, all that kind of great stuff. Um, but also there's a proximity to the school. And so I'm, I'm on what's called Project Play with Nina Frazier, who you know, and Neil Bancroft, who is a local landscape architect who's working in Edinburgh, but um, has worked kind of all around the world. Um, and we are trying to develop upon what the primary school has 
in terms of playground facilitate playground facilities and advancing the um, kind of agenda there to include more risk-based play, mm -hmm. to include more engagement with nature, to also think about our educational landscape as something beyond the grounds of the school in that we are adjacent to the law. In fact, that we're adjacent to the wetland and the Woodland Trust area is, uh, or the North Park Trust Woodland is right across the road. And so the idea, one, one of our ambitions over the kind of next, say, 10 years is to get you know, some outdoor classrooms, which are kind of multifunctional spaces so that people who are walking the John Muir Way can stop and have lunch. People can shelter from the rain. People can, you know, teens can congregate. Um, school can have impromptu classrooms, etc. cetera. Um, but, you know, the, there's, a, I think, a, a way of bringing play into everyday life for all people which is important. Um, we also have a gorilla swings project where we're putting swings up around. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, which is, um, which which is, is like ropes, ropes ropes swings yeah, 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 yeah. with a stick on them. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Which nice. is very funny because like I haven't really, I don't really tell like my family or anything. My parents sent a bunch of pictures with them and my nieces and one of my nephews like swinging on these swings. Like, Look what we find. These are super cool. And I was like, oh, that was Michael. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, but so, yeah, so, so I mean, getting involved, because I, I feel like at the primary school, you know, when you look at the primary school now, frankly, it is deeply uninspiring from the front. And that is how we are advertising ourselves to the wider world. And I feel like that should be not only a special place for our kids in terms of nurturing their imaginations, showing them that we care about them, you know, encouraging creativity, blah, 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 all these kinds of things. Um, and we can make that better. We have a skill set to make that better. We have a passion to kind of invest time to make it happen. And you met with the with the head. Um, yeah, Jackie McKinnon, who seems totally on board and she's great. Yeah, yeah, and she was talking when you were talking about outdoor spaces about how the curriculum can be like adapted to them work with those spaces. I mean, it just sounded so exciting. There's so much opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, so that's really cool. Because to me, it feels like if we can get started in primary school, then we can work our way up and yeah, <laughs> kind yeah. of, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think we, we should encourage, though I haven't had very much time to invest in this, but I do think we should encourage uh, the school to do some like energy works as they, as we encourage them to do other things, because obviously there's a climate emergency and we have pretty inefficient school buildings and it would be nice mm -hmm. to be seeing, you know, incremental improvements yeah. on the road towards something yeah. more yeah. environmental for the school. Yeah. And for the health of our children. Yes. They'd be and nice teachers. to have healthy buildings. Yeah. De definitely. I mean, I remember my, my kids are obviously uh, much older. They've been through the primary and high school. Uh, I've still, still one in high school. But um, what I've heard back about the things that the kids have started in school about environmental clubs and, you know, projects where they've tried to get recycling done or whatever, invariably things just go back to whatever the people who are you know, the, the company that has the contract to do the catering, for example, has, you know, does. They have the styrofoam cups reappear or whatever. The know? plastic water bottles so, that yeah. the primary ones were sent home with. Yeah. It was very yeah. funny. It just seems to be constantly a step yes. forward, a step back. Mm. So, you know, um, but it is really important for kids to feel that when they start a project and they feel it's important that it is listened to and it is continued and it's not just a sort of oh yeah we'll we'll change that now and then you know two months later yeah. nothing's nothing more is done absolutely i mean kids are um and certainly on the climate side 
like something like 65% of 16 to 25 year olds feel extremely anxious yeah. about the climate emergency. Yeah. And if we don't show as the grown-ups in the room that we are actively doing things to make the situation better, of course yeah. you're going to feel anxious because you're going to be told that there's something which is really bad and that you're going to look at all the adults and they're not doing anything yeah. about it. And we are entirely in a position of power to do something about that. Yeah. And that's that's certainly something that we should be asking for. Yeah. I've I've spoken to a few people recently about this, you know, whose kids are saying to them, well, pff, there's not much point in us really planning anything because probably none of us will be here in like 30 years. You know, they have a real sense of, I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember that sense of doom from the Cold War, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> where we were always kind of thinking, well, you know, but yeah, we might all just be annihilated <laughs> next week or something. <laughs> but there seems to be like a new one now for this generation mm -hmm. with, with climate. Yeah, but instead of having to like have an imaginary enemy that's like, um, you know, thousands of miles away, it's like they can literally look at their parents and be like, why are you yeah. not doing anything? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it's a real, it's a real issue when you can see the people in your community who should be acting, not yeah. acting. I think yeah. it's also, really I mean, it's funny because when you look at like, um, not all, but lots of like sci-fi um, narrative, the the kind of central crux is outside power unites humanity to fight against uh, you know some kind of common thing mm -hmm. and when you look at the partisan politics of today like we're not getting anywhere right yeah. like, there's no <laughs> conversation and we have the crisis we yeah. have the unifying yeah. crisis mm -hmm. right in front of we us we have two don't <laughs> we climate and pandemic if we can't unify <laughs> yeah. i think one of the really positive <laughs> takeaways if there are any positive takeaways from something like covid is actually seeing how quickly changes yeah. could be made yeah mm -hmm. Both legislatively, like new yeah. legislation came in incredibly quickly, quicker than we've been told. You know, we have to consult on changing regulations on how we build buildings. Um, you know, the, the the new yeah, it's on a ridiculous time scale. You know, the yeah. twenty twenty five future home standard is you know, something we we consulted on not that long ago. It's like twenty twenty five. Why are we not talking about twenty twenty two? Yeah. If we can do it in twenty twenty five, why can we not do it in twenty twenty two? It's that kind of oh no, people need so long to get used to things. It's like well we don't if you just tell people they have to do it. Yeah. And that's yeah. what happened with COVID, and we saw that it's possible. Yeah. So I you know COVID was an emergency. The climate is an emergency. Yeah. I see those things as being equally you know valid reasons to expedite change. Yeah. I think, un unfortunately, though, the climate is still more hidden from most people's everyday experience. You know, back in March of 2020, when suddenly we saw all the footage of, of you know, people in hospitals and not enough beds mm. and things that people suddenly realized. But for some reason, communities, you know, on the other side of the world who, who are seeing the sea start to rise to a level that their whole country is going to disappear that doesn't seem to motivate us in the same way no we're it? quite selfish in that way humans yeah. it's like uh we 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 collectively made our action around covid because it was in our own mm -hmm. community yeah so it does it actually quite neatly brings us right back around <laughs> to, to community doesn't it but with the way you guys are both talking about it you know um action seems to be like a really crucial part of community for you guys i, I think but... also just ground up i mean i really mm -hmm. i'm so i'm such yeah. a believer in grassroots yeah because definitely. I, I, just, I have no faith 
in government. Of course because, not. Like, it's, it doesn't matter if it's government or not. Like any bureaucracy of that scale cannot act nimbly. Yeah. And also the people at the top, are. It, it doesn't matter again what it is. They're so detached from whatever it is that's actually happening that they can't. I agree with you. And I do. I think grass up movements are great. But I do think you then have to accept the limitations of the, your reach. Because a grass up thing in our school is going to make the school and those kids and where they go and their futures better. But that is like a small thing. Whereas if you but lobbied you, it a higher level, I'm coming at this slightly as my, my job is research and policy director at the UK Pacifist Trust, which is based in London. Um, and my a, lot, a large part of my job is trying to change policy at that level to create a structural change from maybe not the very top, but you know, sort of a top-down approach. Which would be awesome, but you need exemplars that you can point to and say, do. this is an incremental way in which you can improve a situation. Yes. So I, th I think you need people driving. I mean, of course, I would love it if Boris tomorrow was like, look, like, you know, <laughs> let's let's institute some sweeping educational reform and, uh, you know but like i think you need, I think the I think you need good people yeah. i've had an epiphany <laughs> but i do i think it's like it's it's trying to think about where you want to put your time and your efforts it's like mm -hmm. if it's a grassroots thing and you're like i can i'm gonna literally see this thing out we're gonna like have these changes at the school and we're just gonna do it. Like we want trees, we're just gonna call up the Woodland Trust and be like, can we have the trees mm -hmm. next month? And they're just gonna be there and we're gonna plant them and it's just gonna be done. Like you're gonna you're gonna enact change, which is really important. And but I'm, the, I'm I think that this, the thing is, is that like, okay, so like, you know, it, to take the trees for an example, like we, we are, you know, that that is on the agenda, but those trees are gonna take 20, 30 years to mature, by which time our children will be long gone. So we're not doing that, you know, like there, there's, I th it is it's longer term thinking. I mean, we're mm -hmm. doing this for yeah. children and generations to come. Definitely. Hopefully our kids will benefit from it too, but like they're not going to like reap the rewards of, you know, yeah. what it could be. Yeah. And that's great. That's the way it should be. We should be thinking to the future. But that is a community, that is a proper community feeling then. You're yes. feeling an investment in this particular space that's going to extend past your own self-interest yeah. into like, you know, into the general into the general because we all into win. other people every you know exactly. that's it that's the thing it's like yeah you know, yeah yeah it's interesting coming from those two different perspectives about like ground up and you know taking action but then also you know yes we we all agree that there needs to be like legislative change on so many things mm. to, to the swarm to strategy you come out of from yeah. all sides yeah exactly <laughs> i think you do you have to yeah. you need good people at literally every single level of like community but also our our lives it's like you need people in politics who are trying to fight the good fight you need people yeah. in the education system mm -hmm. who are trying to push for change in good education you need i mean you need it literally everywhere yeah um and it's and it's i guess that's what i was saying it's like you almost have to pick where you're gonna put your mm -hmm. resources mm -hmm. and your energy and then know what maybe not what the limitations are maybe that's the wrong word actually it's like what the opportunities are yeah and like how far you can push yeah. through your interventions. But the grassroots pressure is needed to make the people at the top yes. whose self-interest is the opposite, yes. isn't it? And our time mm -hmm. is finite. And so yeah. you need to understand yeah. where you can focus things because otherwise yeah. it's the, the problem's simply too big and then you get nihilistic, you know? I mean, yeah. Think, yeah. you know, yeah. And, and maybe that's part of where the kind of, um, 
you know, slightly that the angst of the slightly younger generation is mm -hmm. coming from because like they don't yet have the skill set through which to understand where they can apply their pressure. Yeah. Um, and so it's like from a, from a personal agency standpoint, you're not exactly quite sure what you can literally do to help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Isn't that really also one of the very important things about multi-generational like community and connection. It's one of the things that we've had so many conversations about, but that seems to be really missing. Like, uh, I know in, with my kids, um, you know, they, they have had make, especially my son, much more um, interacts with lots of people of different ages because of his interests. Um, but I find so many young people really seem to unless they have a very specific interest like that that takes them outside of their group you know they are really channeled at school into just doing things with mm -hmm. people of their age mm -hmm. and and activities and things like that these can all be very much age determined and so they don't have enough opportunity to mix with other other ages it's one of the one of the nice things when we're talking about like community space and in the town itself um something I, I feel personally that there is a lack of like spaces where people can interact um, that aren't commercial spaces. You're asking that earlier is... about just what to see change, pedestrianize yeah. the high street. In 10 years time, no one's gonna, no one's gonna look back yeah. and say, oh, I wish we had cars on the high street. You know, <laughs> it's short term thinking. And, and if you pedestrianize the high street, you can put in benches, you can put in more opportunities for mm -hmm. those kinds of chance interactions. Call, call, it structure. doesn't happen yeah. in cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Interesting, that's gonna be a controversial statement. When I was in high school, we, were, we had a thing where we were like, we should pedestrianize the high street. Yeah. yeah, obviously that was that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it goes around in, in circles. There's yeah. probably the same conversations about parking as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there was. I'm sure there was. Do you feel actually that need, leads us neatly into my next question? Um, do you feel that there is kind of like a shared identity across North Berwick, or is it just a com uh, you know a series of different groups of people with different kind of yeah, I, I don't think like I've been here long enough to answer that properly. It feels cloistered to me in a sense of just like, um, I, I think it would benefit from dialogue across interest groups. And I think part of that probably comes through the, the kind of problem that you've identified, which is that there's a lack of community space where exchange happens. You know, so I mean, like a, li a library becomes, for example, one kind of community resource where people yeah. can meet and engage and talk about yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, community just... centers and places like that are yes. likewise. Totally. But, yeah, the community I mean... center does not feel like it's optimized here. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like um, it's a space that you can only go to if you have a reason to be there. Yeah. Which is not how I feel like a community center should be. I feel like the community center should be constantly open doors and yeah. so there's yeah. a meeting space and people can just go hang out there yeah. and go to courses, but there's also a space that's just kind of um, informal and yeah. it doesn't it doesn't have that feel to it, which is crazy because it's actually a really big building. So it's a it, huge it, it could be redeveloped <laughs> to be an amazing community resource. We actually did hear that there's like a change it's coming out of the council and it's going to be in a community ownership. Oh. Um, so decisions will be able to be made at, at a local at a, level. At a local level. Okay. Of it won't be used. within the council anymore. So I think that building's got huge potential to become an asset. Yeah. Um, for the community, which is really amazing because it's yeah. in a really good spot. Right in the Perfect middle of Perfect location, right exactly. in the center. Yeah, yeah. and it's got yeah. this big parking 
bit which we yeah. could get rid of and then have a huge external space yeah. for, for various different things so has the nursery moved out of there not yet, yet. No, they, they haven't, even, they haven't broken a, ground there's actually. a bit of an issue with the nursery because the i don't know how i don't know how true all of this is but the the, the there, was, there was a design for the nursery and during a consultation with the parents um the people who did the design uh, were challenged about why there was no access from all the new housing onto the site because that's where so many children are going to be coming from mm -hmm. and the response was is there housing there because they hadn't actually visited the town wow it was just <laughs> a kind of drawing exercise and wow. and the, the building has a wall of glass more or less um into the new nursery space it's a big open plan space and it faces due north mm. with a big solar shading canopy above it so it's been put on the it's like a it's cut, cookie cutter kind of design as far as I know, like it's just kind of, yeah. it's a pre-done design that's been put on the site, but the wrong way round, in my opinion, as a low energy architect. <laughs> well, and also someone who's aware of where the sun is, yeah. you know. Yeah, but also... <laughs> How unlike, the, yeah. unlike a public building. <laughs> um, but also the, the building is, orient, the front of the building is orientated to the road, which is, I guess, how you would normally design a building. You'd sit it facing the road with the garden in the back. But... The road outside the nursery is the one that goes out of town. Yeah, it is not part of our community. Road. It's the back yeah. of the, mm -hmm. it should be the back. And if you just turn this nursery block around, you would have the perfect orientation. It would mean that the children would be having the sunlight coming into the space rather than the north, which is no, yeah. you know, no benefit from, from sunlight. Um, and the gardens would then be accessed in the for the south yeah. garden too. Looking up at the wall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it would just be great. <laughs> Yeah. So, and it would array, it would it would mean that what you actually have is everybody comes from the town, not the road, because they're also yeah. not, they're purposely not putting parking in at this nursery. There's no parking for, for parents coming in and doing drop-off. Right. So everyone has to walk. So you have to walk from the town. Then you have to try to squeeze through the campus or come along the narrow pavement to get to the front, which is really the back. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> um, I have I have also joined a group <laughs> we're looking at the redesign of the nursery whether it's possible to have them not redesign it just just turn it around which yeah. it's not that that's delayed it what's delayed it is the the access issue which was to do with the fact that you have the housing the new housing and how the children are going to arrive and then also the fact that everybody from town has to squeeze through what was like a meter wide yeah really narrow gate. pavement along a main road as well yeah well, well also that but there was another sort of side route into the nursery but it was only about a meter just over a meter wide mm -hmm. and when you've got you know how many nursery i can't remember I mean, it's a couple of hundred you know families coming through a lot of people mm -hmm. with buggies it just wasn't an appropriate yeah arrival sequence <laughs> and there was no transport statement so yeah. there was no and there was no drawing for the for it at all that looked at the wider school campus right so this, wow, how extraordinary. It's an educational campus, but yeah. it's it's developed over a long time. Yeah. And the the changes to the buildings have been actually relatively minor. It's been a little extension here, a little yeah. thing here. So nobody's ever had a kind of a strategic overview where they drew all the buildings and thought about, you know, there's almost 2,000, or there's probably more than 2,000 child movements, yeah. young person movements that happen there because um, there's about 2,000 people across the campus. So you've yeah. got, at times, 2,000 on a Friday afternoon when yeah. everyone's breaking at more yeah. or less the same time. A lot of movement there, and there's health and safety things with cars, and it's it's just conceiving that as its own little educational community hadn't happened. Yeah. So 
anyway, huh. in answer to your question about the nursery, <laughs> uh, they haven't broken ground yet. Okay, so yeah. Not so sure the nursery the is still in the community, back of the community center. It just is, What's the best thing about North Berwick? The community, I think. I think the geography comes first because I think the ge- I think the community came because of the geography. So I'll say but geography. I don't think, but the thing is, if we came here and the geography was here, but the community wasn't, it would be worse than if we came here. It's like coming right? to government. You got to come from the top and you got to come from the bottom. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I'm excited about what North Barrett can be. It's obviously amazing. That's why people move here. But I think that the more we can invest in it, not only does it give us satisfaction from a personal standpoint, mm-hmm. um, but we get to we get to meet more interesting people. We get to feel invested in pride. I mean, I just think yeah. I think that the benefits to engagement are so unbelievably high. And I think that I hope that that, you know, yeah, we can continue to develop on what an amazing place this is. Well, Sarah, Michael, thank you so much mm-hmm. for chatting to us on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for doing it. Thank you.